0: Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit NorthMonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. The Spirit is so prevalent. It's not that the Spirit is any more present. If you're a believer in this room, the Spirit resides within you in a powerful, powerful way. But I think it's because we've become more sensitive we feel the spirit moving and it is a beautiful sight. And to watch these young men this week surrender, give their life to Christ, follow through with obedience and baptism, lay sins at the foot of the cross and just let things go was a beautiful sight. Uh, My name is Steven. I am the student pastor here. I've been here for about eight years. um, And I wanna really shout out a few guys um, that pulled this retreat off. It wouldn't have happened um, if it wasn't for them. Um, And that is uh, JW Perry. Uh, Joseph Beard, Brian King, Corey Taylor, um, those guys killed it. Thank y'all so much for being a foundation for this. (laughs) They've had a dream for this for a long time, and clearly it was what we were supposed to do because the Lord worked. Uh, I want to thank you to Matthew Springfield for prepping our food. Thank you, families, for trusting us uh, with your sons. Um, And also thank you for trusting us with your daughters next weekend at Deeper Weekend. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, Man, stand firm. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. And some of these men for the first time have made that stance. And the beautiful thing is there's 60 something other grown men that have been following the Lord that are going to help hold them up because you'll fall from time to time. But we want to help hold you up. We want to support you. So I want to read a verse to you real quick. It's foundation for why we, we did this, what we did this weekend. It's the message that we attempted to ingrain in their hearts. And this is it. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. It says this. We'll come back to it at the end. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. Everything with love. We see a depiction of warrior and shepherd in the same verse. Powerful God. With a still small voice. And I'm gonna do my best to make it through this without crying. Uh, Because on a Friday evening, when you watch a 10th grade student hit his knee in reverence to the Father, uh, that'll humble you. And so last week, Pastor Bill preached a sermon titled Shadow of Hope, and we had this beautiful message where he walked through Psalm 22. That was a direct reflection of what was to come. What was to come. And we've seen the shadow of hope, but the beauty of it is the light has been shown. And so the shadow is gone. And now we reside in a world where hope has been made manifest. You hear me? And I was really thinking this past week, because um, Easter, yeah, I don't know if y'all know that, but we celebrated the resurrection last Sunday. And we watched 10 young men, 11 men, turn over their lives to that surrendering, to that sacrifice, to that resurrection this morning. And one of my students, she's a senior, uh, Caden Wilson, shared a post the other day. And and the title of it was, Why the Monday After Easter Breaks My Heart. And Because it feels like that Monday that we've celebrated enough and we want to leave what we just heard in the past and get back to what we were already doing. And that is going to be a struggle that all of you young men and everybody in this room will deal with. You will be face to face with the resurrection of a man that is God. And you'll start to revert because we say Sunday is coming, but what we're really worried about is Monday because that's when work starts and school kicks off and the frustrations of the world come back in and we forget what has already been done. And so let's take a look. That hope made manifest, okay? I'm going to give you just a second. We're going to spend a little bit of time in the book of 1 John. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and flip almost to the end. Almost to the end, right before Revelation. There's three Johns right there, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. We're not going to the big one. We're going to the little one. First John. We're going to take a peek at 1 John, and we're going to look at some insights right after that in the Gospel of John. And we're going to just bounce around a lot of Scripture this morning. I'm going to let the Word speak. Because the word does not return void and it impacts people, it moves people, it changes people. And I know that because I just witnessed it. First John chapter 1, verse 1. It's a reminder. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest. Verse 3, that which you have seen, which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things to you that our joy may be made complete. The book of First John is a beautiful book, and it was written after the Gospel of John. So he records his relationship with Jesus through the Gospel of John, and five, ten years later, he sits down and he writes this, and this is not a letter that he's sending out to stop a movement, to, to, to reclaim something, to react to something. It's, it's redemptive. It's in the voice of "It is finished." It's in the manifesto of done." He is reminding us in verse one that it's eternal. It was before we ever got here, before we ever thought about. In Genesis, we see it. In the book of Psalm, verse, chapter 22, we see it. In Isaiah 52, 53, go read that and then think about the resurrection and think that God didn't have a plan. Please come talk to me if you think he didn't have a plan because it's pretty profound. But in light of the resurrection, John reminding us of these things in 1 John, in the Gospel of John, You can go ahead and flip there because we're going to be there for a little while. We see the gospel. We see the apostles right after the resurrection. So if you're wondering what that Sunday looked like, what eight days later looked like, what 10 to 15 days later looked like after they were faced with the resurrection, that's what we're going to talk about. On day one, briefly, that Sunday, glorious, glorious Sunday The men sat in a room afraid that if they stepped out, they would be killed because of their association with Jesus. But the women that loved him and were in his life walked boldly down a road to something pretty miraculous. And when they got to the tomb where their Savior was to be laid, where his body was, they saw him. Guess what? He wasn't there anymore. And in three of the Gospels, there's powerful encounters where Jesus speaks to these women and they deliver the truth, the culmination, the, the hope to the disciples. And he reveals himself to them. Eight days later, little Thomas walks in. He's concerned. You said he, he, he woke up from the dead? That, that doesn't happen. I've looked at history. I know he did it to Lazarus, but how in the world would he raise himself? He can't have that much power. Jesus showed up. What did he do? Come feel me. Come touch these holes in my body. I am the resurrected Savior. He revealed himself to them. He challenged them to go to Galilee. And so these men, they go to Galilee. And we're about to look at the third appearance. I think there's three things we can really pull from this. In John chapter 21, we're going to be at the end of the book, y'all, because, right, resurrection is at the end. But it's just the beginning. John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples. We're in verse 1. By the sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing pause for a second. We're talking anywhere from 8 to 15 days or so after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't think these men were being disobedient, but man, they were confused. They didn't know what to do next. They had been battling with their faith, walking with Jesus for three years, wrestling with these things that he's saying, all these commandments and these truths and these parables and these stories. And still they're like, what do we do? Well, At least a few of them, their profession, their livelihood was found out in a boat. They were more comfortable on a boat than they were on land. And so they did what they knew. They went back to their old ways, not bad ways per se, but old ways. And they got in the boat and they went fishing. Now, clearly this wasn't the work they had for them to do because these guys spent all night in a boat, which I have done myself and caught nothing, not a single thing. And I think they were so confused on what to do next that they just stayed in the boat. They like could come to shore, but what are we going to do when we get there? Let's just leave this in the water and maybe something will happen. And so they just waited. And I think the reason they did this kind of resonates with us. I think something we can pull from this is that we are creatures of habit. I don't know if you would agree or not, but if not, start taking a look at your life. I brush my teeth at least three times a week in the morning when I wake up. I'm just kidding. It's, It's seven days. Most of the time. Um, And these are things that I do subconsciously. I get up and I go and do these things, and sometimes my morning starts off with me not being happy because I only got like two hours of sleep that night, Friday night. Thanks a lot, guys. Um, Make my bed sometimes. Sometimes I forget. I get a banana, take my medicine, get on the road, usually stop and get an energy drink, get to work. Um, It's all these little just things. They're comfortable. We know them. They don't challenge us. They don't provide us any discomfort. And that discomfort's a big word because we're also creatures of comfort. We develop the habits we develop because they get us back to where we want to be, a state of comfortability. And I don't know if y'all would agree, teenagers, but was this whole weekend like super comfortable or a little bit uncomfortable? Was a little uncomfortable? Yeah, just a little bit. And God worked in that uncomfortableness and challenged these young men. We are creatures of habit and we are creatures of comfort. And there's this funny little quote. If you always do what you've always done, you will always get what you've always gotten. The men on this front row right here, they know that to be true. But they let go of that truth or that reality, and they gave it up to something bigger. Let's keep reading. John chapter 21, verses 4 through 8. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Men, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you will find some. So they did. And they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Therefore, the disciples, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord. He tied his outer garment around him, for he was stripped and plunged into the sea. But since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net of fish. Y'all, I think the first point here is we have got to make disciples by obeying Jesus. Their obedience, the difference between their success and their failure was about, is about this wide. The net was over here all night. It's hot. The mosquitoes are out. They're taking their garments off, throwing them in the boat, and they're just sitting and waiting, probably talking like, like, did he really, like, did we really see him in the room that day when he came through that door? Like Thomas said, he poked him, but was it real? I'm just going to leave the net here. Was it real? And all Jesus asked them to do was to take what was right here and move it right here. And for these fishermen, now, if you're a fisherman in this room, imagine this would be impossible, but casting an out and you're just going to 153 fish, a fish on one line. It's impossible, but that'd be a wild ride. Their obedience. The only difference was the width of the ship. They were this close. And it took a moment of surrender to let go of what they'd been holding on to. They'd held on to the hope of that net all night. And Jesus said, do it this way. And everything changed. In reaching people for the kingdom, he called them to be fishers of men. That's why he's making this connection. Reaching people for Jesus is the mission. But obedience was the requirement. You hear me, Caleb? Obedience was the requirement. You hear me, Chris? We know the mission. We've preached it to you a hundred times. But where's the obedience? Is it there? If it's not, you need to take stock. Because not only if we obey his wishes, if we obey his commands, if we obey his direction, will we catch fish? But we will also reach people so you have to make disciples by... It's not, a, it's not an option. Fitz quoted it. All authority. Go, make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's keep reading. John 21, verse 15. We'll skip down a little bit. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him... You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. Verse 16, a second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. And he asked him, when he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. We disciple people because we, because you love Jesus. We live in a world where hope has been made manifest. And so we have to ask the question, what now? There it is. Make disciples, but because you love Jesus, that is the foundation for everything that we do. And here's a little note. He referred to him as Simon in this. What do we know him as? We know him as Peter. Peter means rock. You know what Peter doesn't feel like this morning? He does not feel like a rock. He doesn't feel steady. He doesn't feel stable. And I think Jesus is doing something profound here because Peter was on the path to allow his failure to stifle him. That's what the enemy is going to do. Guys, as soon as you make a mistake, the enemy is going to whisper in your ear, see, I told you what you did that weekend wasn't real. As soon as you step out and make a one single mistake, and someone calls you out on it, I knew it. The decision I made that night—that that was not real. It just seemed like the right thing to do. That's the enemy whispering. That's the old you talking. I'm going to quote the great theologian Michael Jordan. I've missed more than nine thousand shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I have been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. Failure is going to mark your life, but it is no longer the defining aspect of your life. You are now no longer labeled sinner. You are labeled sin. Your identity is not sinner. Did I say sin? Your identity is saint. Let's flip the script on that real quick. (laughs) Your identity is no longer sin. It is now saint. You are a saint that struggles with sin, but it is not what you are defined by. You are defined by Jesus. And we have to remember that. And y'all know the story of Peter. You've heard it. He's told him and commanded him to feed the sheep. But I want to flashback real quick. Early on, about Eight chapters before this, they go into the garden and they rip Jesus from the disciples and the disciples are scared. And so Peter follows behind, keeping it distant and he gets into a crowd and there's a charcoal fire sitting there and he sits down at it and three times he's challenged. So, oh, you know that man? Nope. Do, do you know that man? <laughs> that dude? No, not that prisoner. Do you know this guy? No, I don't know him. Smell of charcoal in the air a remembrance of something Jesus had told him just several hours before. The rock, for a moment, was broken. And we feel like Jesus leaves us in our brokenness. But we know that to not be true. You hear me, Casey? We know that to not be true. And this is why. John 21, verses 18 and 19. I assure you, when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. Verse 19, he said this to signify by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him two profound words. Follow me. He could have said, you denied me three three times, Peter, I'm done. No more. But instead, what he told him was a prophecy that you will live out your life in such a way with such fierce faith because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that someday you're going to hang on a cross just like I did because of what you believe. And we know that following Jesus that there's going to be a cross involved. It's not going to look exactly like Jesus's, but it is going to look like selfishness. It is going to look like pride. It is going to look like fear. It's going to look like aloneness and isolation. It's going to look like depression. It's going to look like anxiety. It's going to look like attempting things that you know you shouldn't attempt because you are loved. It's going to look like so many things, so many things. And he promotes that. He says that in Luke nine twenty three that if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And so... We're going to wrap this up real quick. I'm going to bounce around some scriptures. Y'all just listen. Write them down if you want to go back and look at them. We've looked at the Gospel of John. I looked a bit, a little bit. We've looked at 1 John. I'm going to read you some scriptures because Jesus wanted to define for you on the cross what love was and that it wasn't done completely until he resurrected from the grave. And now we can live in that eternal life with him. Sin, it is finished. Life, it has begun. And here's what He does. First John 2, 7 through 8, Beloved, I am writing to you a no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away, the shadow is leaving, and the true light is already shining because hope is here. A little ad-lib there at the end. Skipping to 1 John 3:11 for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. We have no excuses that we should love one another. 1 John 3:16 This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ, oh this is how we know what love is. A new commandment I give to you. Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is a direct callback to John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Forty some odd years, fifty some odd years after Jesus uttered these words, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Repetition, a reminder, an opportunity for revelation. So today I give you an old commandment. Jesus uttered it 2,000 years ago. To go and love one another just as I have loved you. He said those words and 24 to 36 hours later, those disciples were looking at him hanging on a cross. And 24 to 36 hours after that, on the third day, the disciples were looking at an empty tomb and i think it clicked that's how i'm supposed to love sacrifice so hope made manifest compels us to sacrificial love so let me read this one more time cuz being firm in your faith is beautiful feels impossible but together we can do it. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14, be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. And if you don't know what love is, go read John 13:34, 1 John 3:16, John 3:16. And that will be your reminder. So when y'all get done with y'all's naps today, when you wake up, It's not over. Peter was challenged and commissioned after having failed. He was reinstated and encouraged by Jesus Christ. And we want to encourage you to live out that faith in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to live out that faith in Jesus Christ. And stand firm in your faith. And when you do, do it with love. So I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to have some of these men that have been here all weekend challenging these teenagers. Come up to the front. If there's anybody in this room that you realized last week when you heard the power of the resurrection that it was something really cool, but then the next week you did nothing to live in that power of the resurrection, come up here and talk to some of these guys. Let them pray over you. Let them ask you questions. Ask them questions. And if you need salvation, the gospel is free. Peter failed. And Jesus didn't say, too bad. He actually gave him a job. Go and build the church. And look where we are today. Sitting in church. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for an opportunity to stand here today. And I pray for every one of these teenagers. They're going through things that we can't fully fathom, that we can't fully understand, Father, because it's just a different generation. We could escape before we had cell phones. We could escape back in the day. But these kids are battling it earlier, daily, and often. And that's not just them, Father. It's us too. If we've lost our passion in the resurrection, it doesn't have to look like exuberance, but it needs to be deep and gentle. That you would challenge the men and the women in this room to be bold, like Mary Magdalene was, to walk that road, even though she knew she could be killed. So, Father, speak to us. Move us, Jesus. I pray for repentance, for sanctification, and salvation. The Spirit is alive. Make us sensitive to it. It's in your Son's holy name, I pray all these things through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.